Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. And today we're going to talk about duration. And specifically, though, we're going to talk about dual duration and, and how the existence of inflation-linked bonds sort of changes the way we, we think about risk, the way we should think about fixed income, the way we should think about bonds, and the way we should think about uh, how you hedge inflation in a portfolio, uh, whether you're an individual or an institution. So to do this, I've got to sort of back up quite a bit um, and talk about what an interest rate is. Now, I know that some of the people listening will will find some of what I'm saying very repetitive, uh, and you can skip to the end. But this is not a really long podcast in any event. Uh, but I really do need to start at the beginning to explain why it is that that tips are fundamentally different from regular bonds and, and why it is that that matters. What is an interest rate? So when a borrower and a lender come together, uh, they have to agree on what the rate is that the lender is going to give uh, cash to the borrower for some period for. The lender is deferring consumption for some period of time, and so needs to be compensated for giving up that consumption today for future consumption. And that interest rate consists of two things. It consists of, and this goes back to Fisher, and we call this the Fisher equation. The interest rate consists of the real cost of money, uh, how much more consumption you want to have at the end or along the way compared to the amount of consumption you could have today as the lender, plus expected inflation. And let me explain this in a um, using a sort of make-believe make bond. Let's think abstractly about this. Suppose that what my consumption is is pastry, and that's that's very close to the to the reality anyway. I I tend to consume more pastry than the average person, but let's suppose that that's my consumption basket consists entirely of pastry, in, and I'm going to lend money to you. So I would buy a cake today, but instead I'm going to lend that money to you, and and you know offer the terms or dictate the terms to you under which I will lend that money. So. I want to get enough money doing that so that I can buy not only the cake in the future at the end of our deal, but along the way, I'd like to buy some cupcakes with the income, okay? So um, to get, let's say quarterly, I want to buy a cupcake, okay? So I want to get enough money to buy cupcakes quarterly, and I want to have enough money to buy the cake at the end. So the cupcakes there are my cost of money. I would not have those cupcakes otherwise if I just consumed the cake today and didn't lend to you. I get these extra cupcakes. That's the real interest rate. That's uh, the, the cost of money. And that's what I get for lending this money to you and deferring my, my consumption. But now the other part is that you're, you know, I have to make sure that the amount of money you give me back is enough to buy all these these cupcakes along the way and to buy that cake in the future because we know that pastry prices change over time. And so I have to have this adjustment for the expected inflation of pastry uh, in this interest rate that I charge you. So let's suppose that what I want is I want you know 
as a real interest rate. I want to have actually 3% more consumption than I would otherwise have had. And I think that pastry costs will rise at 4% per year. You take that 3%, which is the real interest rate, and you add that to the 4%, which is expected inflation, and you get a nominal yield of 7%, and that's what I'm going to charge you for, for borrowing the cake money for me today. Now, let's suppose that I lend you $100. Let's suppose the cake costs $100 uh, on those terms, um, or I buy a bond for $100 that has a 7% yield. Same, same idea. And then the market's required yield rises. Then the bond becomes worth less. So now um, I can't buy that cake at the end because the actual inflation of pastry turns out to be more than 4%. It, it's, now we expect it's going to be 5%. Um, or I can buy a bond today that gives me bigger cupcakes along the way instead of the small cupcakes that, that you're giving me. So the value of that bond then, the value of the, of the lending that I've done to you goes down because I can go into the market today and I can get bigger cupcakes or I could get something which, which better guarantees that at the end that I'm going to have be able to buy the large cake. Uh, and so the question is how much does that bond fall in value? How much does our agreement decline in value? And that answer um, is called duration. And it is tied to, among other things, uh, how long it is between when I lend the money to you and when I get it back. That's sort of the original definition of duration. And Macaulay duration is the uh, present value-weighted average time periods to maturity. In other words, it's just a measure of how long it is until, on average, I get my money back. Um, but the math part isn't all that important to this discussion. The point is that when interest rates change, the amount that a bond uh, changes in value is, is called duration. Now, Siegel and Waring in 2004 wrote a paper, um, and that's Lawrence Siegel and Barton Waring, um, and wrote a paper in 2004, and it won all kinds of awards, and it's called Tips, the Dual Duration, and the Pension Plan. And they pointed out that there's really two different ways that yield can go up, right? So there, we have these two pieces of the yield, real yield and expected inflation, and either one of them can rise. So if real rates go up, or if inflation expect expectations go up, in both cases, the bond changes in value. And it turns out that for a normal nominal bond, it's the same effect on price. If one basis point on real yield, one basis point on expected inflation, either way, it changes the nominal yield. That 7% we were talking about goes to, to 701 or 8% if you're talking a full percent. And, and, but either way, it doesn't matter whether it's coming from real rates or expected inflation. But but notionally, we can we can recognize that there's really two durations. It's the response of the bond to a change in real interest rate and a change in the bond with respect to changes in inf inflation expectations. And in fact, if those two things happen to offset, the market cost of money went up one basis point 
and market expectations of inflation went down by one basis point, those would offset and the bond wouldn't change in value at all. And so Waring and Siegel made this point that you really have to look at a bond as having these two durations that, that happen to be equivalent in a nominal bond. Now, who cares? That was sort of the important part of the Waring and Siegel piece. Um, at the time when that paper came out, uh, I was at, at Barclays and managing the inflation derivatives portfolio uh, in dollars, and, and we already looked at inflation at, at risk in that way. But, but going back to who cares, let's consider um, a second bond here. Uh, we, we earlier we talked about a bond where you you know I lend you hundred dollars and you pay me seven percent and and you get me hundred dollars back at the end and and that's designed in such a way that I can buy cupcakes and I can I can buy a cake at the end. But let's suppose that we uh, that we do this in terms of actual pastry and so we have a bond that pays an actual pastry. It's a real bond. So you actually are going to send me cupcakes every quarter. And you're going to give me a big cake at the end. So I'm deferring my consumption and I'm getting back these larger terms of consumption, this, these larger cupcakes in this, this cake at the end, but in very explicit terms. And so now pastry price inflation uh, no longer affects me, right? So now I don't care if the price of cupcakes goes up, because I'm going to get a cupcake. That's your problem now. You're going to give me the cupcake. Um, and if cakes, get, if cakes get lots more expensive, doesn't matter. You have to give me a cake at the end. <clears throat> and, so, and so that change in pastry price inflation expectations no longer affects me. And so we would say in this case that that, that bond – has only one duration. The only thing which changes the value of that bond is if now there are other bonds that pay larger or smaller uh, cupcakes um, or larger or smaller cakes at the end. That's the only thing now that, that will change the value of that bond. The price, the, the, uh, the price index for pastry, let's just call it the, the confectionery price index, call it CPI, um, doesn't doesn't affect the price of the bond. Now, note that in practice, we could do exactly the same thing without having you actually send me cupcakes. We could actually, you could send me an amount of money that we've indexed to this confectionery price index. And so that I am comfortable knowing that when you send me some amount of money, it's exactly enough to buy a cupcake because we have this price index. Well, that's exactly what tips do. Okay, so getting back to the real world, that's what tips do. Except instead of the confectionery price index, it's the consumer price index. And so the bond is paying you effectively in consumption basket units. Now, I think that part isn't the confusing part. Now we get to the part that's a little more confusing. So we think about tips, treasury inflation protected securities, we think about them as, as inflation protection instruments. We should. It's in the name. But tips prices actually don't change when inflation expectations change. Why would they? Just like the pastry bond, you're getting the inflation paid to you. You are indifferent to inflation. So if I own a tips bond, and I think there's going to be 2% inflation, and then 
the market says, oh, you know what? It's really going to be 3% inflation. Why should the price of a tips bond change? You're just going to receive more money. You're being compensated for that change. So the value of that bond to you shouldn't change. It's, it's only the cost of money. It's only the real rate that matters. So tips have no inflation expectations duration. They only have real rate duration. So when we were talking about the original Waring and Siegel observation about this dual duration on a normal bond, we said that those are kind of, for a normal bond, the same. It doesn't matter if inflation expectations go up uh, or if it's real rates that go up. Either one has the same effect on the price of the bond. They both raise the yield of the bond to basis point and make the price go down the same amount. But that's not true of tips because now you can see that if real interest rates rise, the value of a tips bond goes down. But if inflation expectations change, the value of a tips bond shouldn't change at all. And so this is confusing because what it really means is that normal treasuries are inflation exposed, but tips are not really protected in, I mean, they're protected in that you don't care about inflation. You're now immune to inflation. So they're protected in that sense. But they give you, you know, when you think about tips, you, you get this idea that they're proactively doing something and protecting you, your portfolio. Um, and it turns out that that's not really the case. The only thing that affects tips are real interest rates. So again, tips have a real interest rate duration, but no expectations duration, whereas a normal bond has both. Now, I should also add that there is a, a third leg of this market, that's inflation swaps, which I won't go into great detail, except to say that they have essentially only uh, inflation expectations duration. And so now you have these, these three different instruments. You have uh, nominal bonds, which have inflation and real uh, inflation expectations duration and real duration that are the same. You have inflation swaps that have only inflation expectations and a real duration uh, of zero. And then you have tips that have a real rate duration, and, but an inflation expectation duration of zero. And so with these instruments, you can now access any combination of those two risks that you want. Whereas when you only had in normal bonds, you, you always had to be in the case both of those durations were the same. So what, what's the point? I mean, the point is that, and, and the, the, the genius of the Waring and Siegel piece was that they pointed out that uh, pension funds, many pension funds, don't really have just one nominal duration. And so they really need to have a portfolio um, that where those durations are different. And if you're managing a portfolio and all you have are nominal bonds, then you're, you're managing on a, a special edge case that just coincidentally your portfolio has real rate duration and inflation expectations duration uh, that are the same. So why do we care about all this and, and the dual duration? So one, if you're a pension fund, then then, of course, uh, unless what, – what, what the point that Siegel and Waring made was that unless you are a closed fund 
and you no longer have anyone earning benefits and you pay nominal benefits instead of uh, inflation inflation adjusted benefits, unless that's who you are, then then you should be trying to immunize on on both of these axes. And that means you're going to sometimes use some nominal bonds, some tips. Um, you may use swaps in some case, um, but you have different ways that you can achieve these different durations. And but but that you should figure out where on that plane, if you think about real duration, real real duration being on one axis and inflation duration being on another axis, you know, you should figure out where on that plane you lie and manage to that particular set of durations if what you're trying to do is is immunize. Point two is that this doesn't just apply to pension funds. Uh, I wrote a paper uh, a number of years ago where I talked about how you hedge post-employment medical liabilities or OPEB liabilities. Uh, and, and again, the answer is that you don't do it using regular bonds. So the point is that there are lots of different applications or lots of different sorts of portfolios that don't happen to have equal durations on these two axes. In fact, it's sort of an unusual case that you would have exactly equal durations, a desire for exactly equal outcomes in these two dimensions. Point 2A here is that when you're going to look at risk, you really should look at both of these durations. Uh, You shouldn't look at nominal duration at all because a change in real interest rates affect all kinds of assets, not just bonds, not just inflation-linked bonds, um, but they affect all kinds of assets differently than changes in inflation expectations, including commodities. Certain commodities respond more to changes in real interest rates than they respond to changes in inflation expectations. And so if you're going to put together an optimal commodity portfolio, you need to think about what it is you're really trying to hedge. And so you need to look at risk differently. At Enduring Investments, we actually maintain our risks uh, in our in our you know, risk decomposition. We, we, we maintain those risks as dual duration. And I mentioned earlier that back when Waring and Siegel wrote, and I was at Barclays, we were doing the same thing. We didn't we didn't actually look at nominal duration at all because you get more granularity looking at these two different durations. And if they happen to be the same, then they happen to be the same. Point three is for everybody else, for everybody who buys tips to protect against inflation, in the short run, this doesn't always work well. And there's a darn good reason it doesn't work well. If you own tips to maturity, then they're a great hedge because they will pay you out in pastry. They'll pay you in units of the consumption basket. And so if you own tips all the way to maturity, they're a very good price-level hedge. But in the short run, what happens to tips when inflation expectations rise? The answer is, and if you've followed along so far, maybe I should you know, pause the tape at this point, as they used to say back when I was in school, pause the tape and answer this question. If you own tips, what happens to them when inflation expectations rise? Tick, 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 tick. And the answer is, theoretically, nothing happens to tips when inflation expectations rise. Inflations have, uh, inflation, tips have no inflation duration. 
which means that when inflation expectations change, their price doesn't change. As I was talking about earlier with the pastry bond, if you own a bond that pays you in units of pastry and your expectation for pastry prices change, then that price of that bond doesn't change. You're getting paid in exact, in those units, you're getting paid exactly the same amount. So that's confusing because again, we talk about treasury inflation protected securities and it turns out that they don't respond to inflation. The reason, the way that we express this change in the market in inflation expectations is because nominal treasury bonds are inflation exposed. When inflation expectations go up, tips shouldn't move, but nominal bonds should sell off. So we're still okay owning tips to protect against inflation at this point. But what if high inflation happens and nominal interest rates rise as a result because the Fed tightens or because the market thinks much higher interest rates are now appropriate? Well, it turns out that that ends up being bad for tips because these two things, these two parts of the interest rate, real rates and inflation expectations, are correlated. When the Fed raises nominal rates, and that's the only thing they ever raise, when they raise nominal rates, both real and inflation parts tend to move. And, and you would think that if you... If the Fed raised interest rates because they were squelching inflation, what you would think you would see, right, is inflation expectations then should go down and real interest rates should go up because the Fed is combating inflation. And so in that case, real interest rates would actually go up more because they'd have to more than compensate for the decline in inflation expectations. So you get – this all gets very, very weird, but but the long and the short of it is that – when interest rates are going up, uh, even because you're expecting more inflation, then it turns out that that tip that real interest rates tend to also go up and tips tend to not do well. Their market price falls. So let's run through this here. If you own a five-year tips bond, then you are hedged for the price level five years from now. But you also have five years of real interest rate duration. So you've got five-year risk, even though you're hedged for the five-year point. And so you have five years of, of potential excitement or misery, depending on what interest rates do, before you eventually get that price level. If you hold a six-month uh, tips bond, so a very, very, very short tips bond, then you have very low real interest rate risk. So you're not terribly concerned with those changes. But on the other hand, you're only hedged for the six-month price level. And the six-month price level isn't going to be dramatically different from today's price level. If you own a TIPS fund, then there's really no horizon over which you're guaranteed the price level because TIPS funds don't mature. Uh, but you do have real interest rate risk. If your fund has a duration of 7, then for every 1% rise in real interest rates, you'll have a 7% decline in the value of that fund. And so even when inflation expectations are going up, it turns out that TIPS funds tend to not do well in the short run. And lastly, if you own in I-bonds, I-series savings bonds, then you actually have something which is really cool. You have no real rate risk and you're hedged for the price level over kind of any time horizon because you can, you can own them 
and hold them kind of as long as you want. And that's why I-series savings bonds are so very exciting, but you can only buy 10 or 15,000 of them a year for social security number. So, you know, for a lot of applications, they're not a, a great solution, but, but they are sort of ideal in this dual duration kind of world. The bottom line is it's complicated. Uh, I, I hope that my explanation has made some sense and illuminated this world of inflation-linked bonds and real bonds and the relationship between them and how interest rates evolve and how risk to interest rates changing uh, differs depending on what kind of instruments you hold, what kind of liabilities you have, and the, the sensitivity they have to different changes uh, in real interest rates and inflation expectations. Anyway, that's all for today. Follow my blog at mikeashton.wordpress.com. You can stop by the Enduring Investments website at enduringinvestments.com. You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy. You can download the Inflation Guy app. I haven't mentioned this, I think, recently in the last couple of podcasts, but the Inflation Guy app should be available in your app store or your Google Play store. Uh, and... Uh, among other things, all the podcasts will will come over that, and, and whenever I post something to the blog, it shows up. Um, when I do an interview or an appearance, it shows up there. But I also post some, you know, other uh, interesting inflation stories, and um, we have a few tools and, and chart packages and things like that on there as well, and it's free. Uh, if you want to contact me, you can contact me by writing to inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com, or as I said, come by the enduringinvestments.com website and fill out the contact form. And thanks for tuning in to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy. Defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember... You know a guy.